Welcome to Bonjour Bitch. My name is Charlotte and I'm many things, but most importantly for this podcast, I am multicultural and sometimes a bitch. We're going to talk about everything from relationships to daily life, all from a multicultural point of view. Each week, I'll be accompanied by the most amazing guests to delve further into topics that really affect us all. You'd better get ready for it, bitches. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to today's episode. I am discussing multicultural wedding photography with the very talented Petronella, who is a destination wedding and family photographer. Hi, Petronella. Hi, nice to meet you. Lovely to meet you too. And very exciting fact, you first international guest in the sense that you're logging in from New York, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> I'm honored. Thank you for having me. And so Petronella was literally just telling me before we locked in with you guys that it's 6 a.m. for her right now, but she looks fabulous. God, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's dive into the deep end. Tell me a bit, whereabouts did you grow up and where is your family from? Yeah, great question. So I am originally from Kampala, Uganda, which is a small country in East Africa. Where did I grow up? That's a great question. We kind of traveled all over the world because at the time I was born, there was this evil dictator, Idi Amin. I don't know if you've seen The Last King of Scotland. Yeah. But he was doing all kinds of crazy things. And my family decided to, um, we moved to Kenya when my sister was born. Then we moved to Zimbabwe, where I spent most of my childhood growing up, and eventually to Birmingham, Alabama. And since then, had a couple other places before, you know, arriving here in the New York area. So amazing. And so, how long have you been in New York for now? I have been here since 2007. So that's, oh my gosh, it's been a minute. <laughs> I never really thought of it that way. That's amazing. So you've had lots of different cultural influences throughout your life, both in, on the African continent and in the US, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And whereabouts are your parents now? My parents live in the States right now. So okay. in, yeah, in Philly and Al Alabama. And your sister as well? Yes, my sister's in Philly as well. Yep. So you're all stateside now? Yes, 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 yes. It's good. Amazing. And how do you think your origins have influenced you professionally? That's a great question. It's been big, 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 big. We moved to Birmingham, Alabama. Of course, I was 10 years old, still a teenager, you know, figuring out my identity, who I was, all that good stuff. Get here. It's a huge cultural shock, right? My parents are like, we want you to be Ugandan. Please don't become Americanized. Please eat our food. Please speak the language. Um, but then I would go to school and all the kids were like, what the heck? Like, what is Africa? And they had this very skewed notion from the media. They were like, oh, you're from Africa, which of course is a continent, not Uganda. But um, I was teased a lot. I was made fun of. I got the sense that being who I was and my background was not important and it made people very uncomfortable. So what I did was I was like, I need to assimilate. So I learned to hide those parts of myself because I knew it made people more comfortable to not, you know, to, you know, you say the gemwa and they're like, what, what is that? Then you have to explain. So I just learned to navigate better by becoming quote unquote more American and slash Caucasian. <laughs> yeah, so I did that for a very long time, even through corporate America. 
before I started my photography business, I knew I needed to brand it and, you know, position it. And I was at a workshop and um, my teachers were like, wait a minute, your name is Lugemwa? And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I learned how to hide that because I knew it would always bring up questions and people would be like, you know, um, and they were like, what? Tell us more, this is so cool. And so I told them more and um, they believed that your power lies in the secret you're trying to hide from the world. And they were like, this is your superpower and we need to, you know, push it out there in the world. So before I did that, I'm very, like, I have a science background and engineering, all that, very nerdy. And I was like, wait, I got to do some market research and make sure this is going to work. Um, so what I did is I started reaching out to other couples and people, and everyone had the same story of, hey, I have to assimilate. I have these different worlds going on in my life, and I'm one way in this world, and, and I'm another in another world. And I saw that theme come over and over and people really were like, oh, we need this. We need someone to help us celebrate who we are because the wedding day is one day when all these different worlds come together and collide. So, yep. yeah, agreed. I mean, I don't know about you with lockdown and how the situation is in the States, but here the events industry has collapsed um, is the nicest yes. way to put it. <laughs> Pre-COVID, I was actually um, very much like you, sort of wanting to specialize in multicultural events and weddings, simply because I'm half French, half English, married to a Spanish guy, and completely understand how you can weave two very different cultures together on the same day. Um, it's what we did for our own wedding as well. But yeah, it's amazing. It's And, you know, I think at the beginning, it's very much that sort of well, hang on, why are you doing that dress code with this venue, with this sort of stuff? Like, it doesn't work. And then when people are there, everybody comes up to you and they're like, oh my God, it's so you guys. It's yeah. so you. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, thank you. We knew, we knew what we were doing all along. Like, we knew exactly. we wanted it to represent us and our cultures and even making it multilingual and so that everybody mm -hmm. was involved in different ways. So you touched a bit about how your origins impacted you personally when you arrived in the States, but mm -hmm. how have they impacted you personally throughout your life? I think it's, it's, it's a constant battle, right? Because <laughs> I'm like, let's see, I I, I'm very conscious of what environments are open to me being 100% who I am, if that makes sense. Yep. I would say everything from... Sometimes if I want to start the conversation with somebody, maybe I'll wear like a conversation piece that sort of, you know, like a bracelet or something that makes people go, ah, let me find out more. And then I just sort of see like, where, where does that lead? And some places with my close friends, I can, you know, I can do all the things that are me and, you know, my accent sometimes changes depending on the, you know, all that good stuff. So do you still speak or did you ever speak? your native tongue so what what language would you speak in uganda is it uganda um, luganda no, luganda yeah it's weird i have to be around a lot of people and then it'll come out if that makes sense so when i go back home and i spend time like i start speaking i can hear it fluently i can read it but speaking is definitely <laughs> You know, so you I, never, I you, you didn't keep it up when you moved to the States with your sister no, and with your parents. Yeah, it's a little bit of a like, wait, wait. <laughs> Do you cook Ugandan food? 
Not as much as my parents would like me to. (laughs) Here and there, when I find the ingredients, I will grab them and I'll make that happen. But yeah, music wise, yes, I listen to the music. I try to stay up to date with, you know, what's in. That's an easier thing to do as well, being far away, because sometimes, like you said, it's harder to find certain ingredients or certain things like that. But music, you can sort of switch onto any Spotify list and sort of find it find something yeah and I have cousins and we are always talking on whatsapp so they sort of keep me in the loop yeah that's amazing and so you were mentioning that you started off in a nerdy background and then you're obviously now a photographer what motivated you to change and switch to photography I know right um so I've always been sort of a quiet person and photography ever since I was young is sort of a way that I express myself or I can, I don't know, it's like, I see things and I'm very observant. I guess when you're quiet and just sort of looking and listening, you see things and you see a lot of things very differently. So for me, it was like, oh, this is a a fit. Like all the time people would make fun, like you're so quiet and all of that and sensitive. And I'm like, that's my gift now because it makes me a better photographer. I'm able to see small little things. I get the couples playing. Even with family, family dynamics, traditions, small little things that happen at the wedding, I can like, I'd like to think that I'm more observant because of that. So yeah, and I don't know if you've heard that when your brain, and this is very nerdy, but (laughs) when your brain is organized, it allows you to be much more creative. So I feel like the engineering side, I create systems and things as to, hey, this these things have to be in place. And then when I'm shooting, I'm a little bit more creative and wild and it's very weird, but yeah. I think it also makes sense. I mean, I'm very, very organized with my life and I like everything to be very organized. And for me, it's in terms of timekeeping. So my calendar is like slotted out, even during lockdown, it's slotted out, which means that then I give myself that time to be free and creative and go to the museum. Or and and I give myself that time of space because I feel Mm -hmm. that otherwise, if I don't give myself and a lot that time to it, Mm -hmm. I probably end up doing something like watching crappy TV or just filling it with something that isn't. And don't get me wrong, some TV is great (laughs) and I love my documentaries and stuff. But the more I organize my time, the Mm -hmm. more I then get out of my time if that makes Mm -hmm. sense I'm able to do more because I've planned it I totally agree I just shot a this past Sunday I saw a shot a Greek Orthodox Jewish wedding and leading up to it I did a lot of and I just found the way I shoot it's just like the pictures are just better you know I'm more focused so I agree yeah but also in terms of shooting I know that when we've done weddings or when we've done photo shoots, especially with photo shoots, because you have such a limited time and you have to get a maximum Mm. of photos out of it. I do a huge amount of prep work in terms of a full list of shot list. And I have like two or three pages and I try and plan them around the hair and makeup times around this, mm-hmm. around that. So that, okay, so I know that the bride will be ready at this time. Okay, we're going to do all the single shots of the bride at that time. Then I know that the groom will be ready at that time. Then we'll do all of the couple shots. Then I know that she can go and get a dress change. So we'll do a few singles of him. Then we'll do accessories and we'll do this. And honestly, 
I know that some photographers dislike it because mm-hmm. I'm literally behind with my list being like, have you done the shot of the shoes with the invitation with the bouquet and with the ring, please? Because that I need that shot. But I know that other photographers love it because for them, they're like, we know that we've got what we came for. And it's literally like a reminder. And then, you know, you've ticked everything off. And if you still mm-hmm. have half an hour at the end of the day, it's like, go for it. Do whatever you want. Yeah, I will say to your, to, to your credit... Um, the fact that you're budgeting time, I think that's where I see a lot of miss is, <laughs> is like everything happens and then they're like, no, do the photos. And it's, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, there's five minutes till the ceremony and there's still single shots and all of that. So I think it's a dance between, you know, the couple and working with a planner and the photographer and figuring it all out. So, yeah. So obviously your sort of superpower, as you explained, is the fact that you do multicultural weddings and families. And do people specifically come to you now for that? Yes, they do. It's beautiful and awesome because I get it. I love it. I have, I planned my sister's Ugandan American wedding. She had two ceremonies. She had the traditional one in Uganda and then the quote unquote, white or Christian wedding in America. Yeah, so I get it. I love it. I like, I get it. <laughs> I get everything that couples are going through. And, you know, there's so much, as you know. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But that's nice that people come to you specifically for that, because I think that also is a great show of trust that you mm. know how to represent that and how to showcase both cultures or if they're more than two cultures. Yeah, yeah. Even interfaith, like I love when I, yeah, when I get interfaith couples as well, because that's always interesting. And I understand the tension. I understand that tension of, okay, how do I honor who we are as a couple? And then how do we honor our respective cultures? And then there's also a layer of family, right? Because family's like- Always. Yay! <laughs> rah, 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 this culture. Rah, 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 this culture. And the couple might be like, okay, we just, yeah, we want a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So all of that comes to play on the wedding day. And I love it. I get it. It's very natural to navigate, so. Amazing. And where do you see your or our industry going as far as inclusivity and diversity? Do you think there's still challenges? There are absolutely still challenges. Um, one of the reasons I did decide to do this and get into this was because I didn't see a lot of different multicultural couples being celebrated. If you look at magazines, in fact, if you go to Google, Google image search, and you pick some of the most, the top bridal magazines, and you just type in, you know, the magazine title, you'll look at the front covers and you'll be like, it's very homogenous. (laughs) Yeah. But that's not how the world looks. I think lately, especially 2020 with everyone being at home due to the pandemic, a lot of companies and people have sort of woken up and been like, wait a minute, this is very homogenous and what are we doing and how can we change? And I think in the next year or so, it's gonna be interesting to see what everyone does. Because you know, right, there's, you can check the box and be like, oh, look, we featured this kind of a person, but did you really dive in to understand the nuances of that culture or that person? And is it consistent? And is it not only being shown in the media, but are you also on your team making some of those changes to look more like what the real world looks like. So yeah, 
I mean, here in the UK, I don't know if you know of this platform. It's called New Bride, as in NU. I think I've heard of it. You know them? Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. they did their first um, diverse wedding show. I think it was last year. And it was amazing. I went and I was literally, the fashion show, I was in tears. It was so, they had an a cappella women's group, all different shapes, sizes, colors, <gasps> everything. And then they had also behind the a cappella group, they had somebody translating the songs in sign language. And the models were all colors, all shapes, all sizes. All, mm-hmm. And it was just so refreshing to see something actually represent everyone. Yeah. And you know, there was a representation matters. Yeah. Yeah, it does massively. And you know, I just got married at that stage. And there was a talk going on about how, like you said, most magazines on the covers, there is a white, blonde, blue-eyed model. (laughs) And beautiful girl, nothing wrong with that. But you know, they were saying that even the majority of white women don't even feel a connection yes, with it right. because you know I'm brunette and I have freckles and I don't know what I am in U.S. sizes but in European sizes or in UK sizes I'm a size 12 when I'm not pregnant and you know I just I'm not very tall I'm not you know and it just didn't feel that I ever mm-hmm. saw somebody like me in the magazines yes. Oh my God, you nailed it. Yes. And I sometimes felt if I had seen somebody like me, maybe I would have connected with that brand faster or quicker or or just seen myself as. And, you know, I was always the kind to be like, oh, I'm never going to lose weight for the day I get married. I don't care about that. I'm happy as I am. No, no, I fell into the trap and I lost weight and I was the skinniest I've ever been in my adult life because I felt the pressure and I felt the pressure of, no, no, on your wedding day, that is the day you have to look the best in your whole life. And it obviously is just temporary. It's just for the wedding day because then you pile back on the pounds. But was I particularly happy? I mean, I felt great on the day. And I think you're fueled by adrenaline and you just like keep going and et cetera. And when I look back now, I'm like, wow, I was too skinny. Like that isn't even, it's not even that nice. Yeah. And it just makes you think like as much as magazines and blogs and everything, they're great for inspiration. I also sometimes feel that they sort of pigeonhole you into Mm -hmm. one way and I wish that there were more, you know, that a mainstream blog or magazine would show interfaith weddings, would show multiracial weddings, would show, but as a norm and, you know, gay weddings, lesbian weddings, like, yes. but just as a norm, not necessarily as the token, hey, look, here's our gay wedding of the month. <laughs> Looks great. Don't, oh, and but they both happen to look like models as well at the same time. Right. <laughs> or, or, you know, you can double tick boxes if they're gay and Jewish, one of them is black and one of them is in a wheelchair. Yes. Oh, <laughs> triple tick everywhere. 
And that's just two pages in the magazine. And then you're like, right. And everybody else is white and exactly. model looking. And, and you know, it's just like <laughs> everybody gets married or if they don't, that's their choice. And it's fine too. But it shouldn't be that you have to look a certain way in order to be featured in a magazine. And I feel that I personally stopped buying industry magazines because I felt it was always the same stuff always the same designers always the same people who were getting their work featured because they were friends with the editors blah 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 blah, blah. and everything just looked the same and I wasn't even getting inspiration from it anymore I love everything you just said and I think it echoes (laughs) like I'm like oh my gosh that's exactly why my clients come to me because they come and they're like it's not Aryan you can actually see the different people and I see myself like there's more diversity and there's more different looks and it makes me feel at home. And I think when people don't see themselves in mainstream media, the message is you're not beautiful enough or you're not worthy enough or making the feature. And that does things to little girls, to women, to brides who are like, oh my gosh, I need to look magazine perfect. Like you said, you lost a lot of weight. You were like, you're feeling this pressure to look a certain way and this is why it matters and also I think as wedding professionals you know whatever you are whether you're a planner whether you're a photographer whatever you do I always strive to never have two events that look the same exactly yeah every single event should be a full representation of my clients Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's a wedding whether it's a party whether it's a corporate they should never look the same. And anybody who accepts to recreate an event from a portfolio image, it just, it's not genuine. And loses the authenticity, yeah. Yeah, you're creating such a magical and unique moment for two individual people. And their circumstances are their own, their history is their own, their heritage is their own. And Mm. that's what you should be weaving into it, not take this pretty Pinterest picture and do it for me. Yes. (laughs) I love that you said that. I get that sometimes and I'm always like, thank you. This is great. I'm going to use it as inspiration, but I also know who you are because I spend a lot of time getting to know the couples, you know, how they self-identify, who they are, how they met, because when the photos come out, I want it to be them. I want them to look and be like, that is us. So totally. Um, So obviously we've breached a bit on COVID-19, our fabulous uh, friend (laughs) of 2020. Obviously in the UK, I can tell you firsthand that it's had catastrophic impacts on our industry. I suppose it has in the US too. Mm -hmm. And how have you navigated it this far? Because you guys are still allowed to have weddings right now. That's an interesting question. It depends on the country. So we're all like, everyone is doing whatever they want in the city because top wise, yeah, our government was sort of like, oh, it comes down to the state level, whoever, you know. So some places, I know I had a destination wedding in Virginia and at the time they allowed 50 people, whereas in New York, the max number of people was 25. Um, So basically overall, I would say it's shaken everyone. I remember in March, April, May, just seeing all my brides being like, it's just so heartbreaking for all of them. Yeah. But it's also heartbreaking for the vendors because we're scram, you know, we're figuring out what is next year going to look like. Yeah. Business wise, as well as just for the couples, it's, it's shaken things up. But I would say what I'm also seeing is a return back to 
the true meaning of what a wedding is for, if that yep. makes sense. I so agree. Those intimate ones are like, these are the people who truly matter. Yes, it's only 10 guests and we had to go to a park because having indoor weddings is, you know, increases the rate of somebody catching it. So yep. outdoor spaces and rooftops are better, but they're just so much more intimate and it's, it feels less of a Ta-da! you know, we're getting yeah. married and we have to do all these things and much more of a, this is what it's really about. So it's interesting. Have you, have you found having an increase in private family photography? So for example, a lot of my photographer friends here in the UK started offering doorstep portraits. Mm-hmm. So they would come, I did it with a couple of friends and they came and we did some doorstep portraits with my husband and our dogs and it's so precious and I feel that we'll keep them for a long time because it's us in such a bizarre yet historic moment in time. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. I've had an increase in family sessions. Um, I think people are realizing, yeah, these moments really matter and who, who truly matters in a moment where I think at least for me, before this, I'll just be running around doing all the things like, oh, got to do this, got to do this. And then this happened and it literally jolted me. And I looked at all the things I've been doing in the past and I was like, why am I doing this? Oh my gosh, this is taking me away from my family and my nieces and my nephews. And, you know, I think everyone's having that same feeling. And so that's something that I would say I'm ramping up on is I'm just seeing a lot of family sessions. People are just like, we never get to spend time with the kids. We're always walk, you know, we're always working and out there in the world. So that's, that's definitely coming up and something that I'm really loving as well. That's amazing. And do you think that women, especially black women are underrepresented Mm -hmm. in your specific creative industry? So in photography, because I know that there are quite a few women photographers, Mm -hmm. but why do you think that is if, if there is underrepresentation? Yes, there is under, (laughs) it's, it's very interesting. I can't quite put my finger on it, but because when I think about even particularly a wedding day and I, I talked to a couple, a, she had been married, I think for like five years or so. And she had a male photographer and she was like, you know, the photos are beautiful, but he was so gruff and aggressive with me the entire time. And I thought about that and I was like, oh my gosh, we as women, I feel like we, we probably can connect better and know what matters. I think it's a combination of, hmm. There's a little bit of <laughs> like what you see in society in terms of um, even like if you go into the cooking world where you're like, oh, that might be more naturally reserved for women, but you see more men taking those yeah. roles. And so I just think that's sort of trickled down into a combination of systems have been set up to, to sort of subliminally tell women you don't deserve to be in this space. Um, but I will say, I feel it whenever... I shoot at certain venues. So I have a team of people and usually my second shooter is amazing. He's a male photographer, but I'll have like venue managers come and they'll literally start talking to him and they'll be like, this is what's happening and da da da. And he's always like, no, she's the boss. She's, you should talk to her. And some of them are like, what? Um, And some of them literally are like, I don't care. I'm going to continue talking to him. And for me, I'm just like, (laughs) it is what it is but he's always so he comes back and he's like oh this is what happened and let's you know make the decision and all of that but yeah I think there's a lot going on there but women are amazing I think we should own like (laughs) (laughs) 
it needs to be more inspiration. That's why I love doing talks and putting like, just cause I'm like, if I can inspire one person to be like, Oh, I can do that. You know? Yeah. I spoke at BNH um, last year and I remember there were a couple of different people who came up to me and they were like, I didn't know someone like you existed. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that was oh. worth the nerves of going up and speaking that somebody now is like, I can do this because I see someone else, you know? That's amazing. And I think that is like probably the best response that you can get about that. But yeah, women are fucking kick ass. Like, yeah, we do a lot and we don't get enough credit for it. Yes. It's a battle. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to ask you, obviously, we've touched upon COVID, but during COVID, the Black Lives Matter movement gained huge momentum worldwide. And I wanted to have your personal opinion and how you felt in light of this as a woman of color. Mm hmm. Black Lives. It was a very, very interesting time, right? We were in the middle of COVID. We're already stressed. We're isolated. And then you see a series of events happening, starting with George Floyd. Yeah. And it's funny for me personally, and I think I can speak for a couple other people in my circle, all the feelings that we've always had, like I've been stopped by police and I've been harassed over something like a broken taillight, just crazy things have always happened. And you've learned to move in the world in a certain way, again, similarly to make people feel comfortable because, you know, if you do that one little thing, like, you know, when I got stopped over, I was like, okay, I'm just going to be calm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I wanted to express myself. I wanted to be like, why is this happening? But to see just the whole world reawaken to be like, wait a minute, this is something, it was very validating. It was, it was a weird mix of like validating because some people would always be like, is this in your head? Like all these things that are happening. Sometimes I go in stores and I'm followed. And so to see that people are like, wait a minute, there's, there are huge issues. And to see it like people protesting around the world, this wasn't just happening. You know, it was really empowering and really, it was encouraging. And to see different industries give a voice to, to start changing things. So for example, um, different magazines started to look at their staff and look at the images that they were putting out there and say, wait a minute, we don't have proper representation. Yep. I think, yeah. So we'll see, we'll see where it goes. But it, it, was, uh, it was an interesting time, confusing, exciting, empowering, um, a little bit traumatic at times because definitely I felt like I had to relive some of the situations that had happened in the past and that I had you know, pushed down and sort of been yep. like, this is just how life is. And then to see like, no, that's not right that this happened to you. So yeah, a whole bunch of different emotions and feelings, but I'm excited to see different people take a stand and open up doors, which for some companies for hundreds and hundreds of years have never been opened up to black people and people of color to see them be like, we're gonna, you know, we didn't realize this. So, and we're like, oh my God, I've seen, I've noticed this for years and years, you know, so. That's really interesting because I think as well, obviously I've sort of seen it and seen it firsthand happening in the UK. And thanks mm. to the media, obviously followed what's happening in the US. And thanks to um, a series of documentaries that I've watched that have been very US specific, specifically mm. some of the ones on Netflix. It's been really interesting to understand as well the US 
problem that there is mm -hmm. because growing up in Europe and in the UK, etc. I mean, my eyes were opened in regards to Abraham Lincoln. Like, I was mm. like, oh, I grew up to see him as a hero. Like, he abolished slavery. He's a hero. And then when you watch 13th, you're all of a sudden like, oh, so as everything, it had an economic purpose and it had a voting purpose and it was to make the South weaker. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, slightly disillusioned with the whole thing. And then it just makes you think and then you sort of go into this and you see the sort of systemic problem around it all. And you're just like, how has this gone on for so long? Yeah. How has nobody actually had enough voice? Because I'm sure that people have been talking about it for long, long yes, time. Yeah. That the population <laughs> in prisons is not very equal um, and things like that. And then when you see it, you're like, how has this not come out sooner? Like, who's been blocking this information? Who, why is this not fixed? Why is there mm. not somebody fixing this sooner? It's crazy. I mean, I'm very grateful because I feel that it's, I've learned a lot. Mm. And I feel a lot more educated on the subject, which I feel that for a long time, white people were removed from the conversation it's not a white problem so we shouldn't be part of the conversation mm -hmm. whereas I feel that no no we're just as guilty because we've shut our eyes and we haven't done anything about it and I think you know it's yeah. everybody should come together regardless of what color you are what ethnicity you are what whatever mm -hmm. like it's a human issue not a racial yeah. issue it starts with awareness, like education yeah, and like, exactly. oh my gosh, I don't have to watch this movie. I don't have to do this research because my world is not impacted by this. And I'm going to take an opportunity to do that. But also in situations where now that I'm awakened and I see things happening, I'm going to speak up and, you know, yeah. So it's starting somewhere. <laughs> and everybody's voice has weight whether yes. it's your three best friends that follow you on Instagram, whether it's chatting with your parents around the dinner table, or whether you're somebody who has millions and millions of followers. But it can't just be a black square that's posted. I think that was yes. <laughs> good to awaken everybody. But then, you know, we're speaking about it with friends. Hardly anybody followed it up. And yeah. one of my friends was telling me that, you know, at least she was like, at least you had consistency because then you were posting about things and you were like, well, I learned this and I learned that. And how are these people not arrested yet? And, you know, this, these are the stats yeah. and this is reality. And just simple facts that I was reading where I was shocked. I was like, how did I not know this? I was then just reposting them to sort of, well, I'm sure that at least one other person will read this and be surprised. Yeah. And even if it seems small and that, oh, well, you know, my sort of grain of sand isn't going to make a difference. There's a wind motion happening at the moment and things are happening, things are moving, people are talking. And I think it's so important. And you know what? Lockdown, it's been shit. Let's say the truth. Um, <laughs> personally and professionally, it's not been an easy time for yeah. anyone, but if it's given us 
mind space to think about things like this and to think about mental health and to think about what we can do for the planet and how we can keep it healthier and how we can help each other and have a sense of community. And like you were saying, even with smaller weddings, bring us back to what is the essence of doing yes. these things? Yeah. Then you know what? It hasn't been that bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Through it all, right? <laughs> Listen, on that philosophical note. It's time for the bitch fire round. It's now time for the bitch fire question round. Ooh, let's um, do it. <laughs> so I will ask you a question, for example, dog or cat? Dog, hands down. Amazing. And then uh, we'll get quicker and quicker. So Netflix or Prime? Netflix. Bath or shower? Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Shower. <laughs> ASOS or Zara? I've only had Zara, so I have to go with Zara. Sweet or savory? Savory. Coffee or tea? Ooh, tea. That's a very, ooh, tea. It's very <laughs> Ugandan thing. Like, I drink <laughs> buckets of tea. Buckets. Like, ooh, I go through canisters. I like fruity green tea. Ooh. That makes sense. So, like, I think I'm doing watermelon and peach right now. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Winter or summer? Summer, hands down. City or countryside? Countryside. Vintage or new? New. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram, hands down, yeah. And then one for you especially, Uganda or US? Oh my God, this is hard. <laughs> ah! Oh man, home, Uganda, hands down. So your mom and dad can listen to this podcast then. <laughs> I know. They'll be like, yes, we raised her well. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, thank you so, so much, Petronella, for joining us today on Bonjour Bitch. It's been an absolute pleasure and I could keep talking to you for hours. Could you please remind us of your social media handle, please? Yeah, so everything is Petronella Photography. Find me on Instagram. That's where I usually spend most of my time, website, everything, Petronella Photography. And thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Great question. Amazing. Oh, yeah. well, listen, hopefully one day we get to meet when we get to travel again, whether in New York or in London or for some fabulous destination wedding where we can. Yes, I hope so. Because I think I'm like, oh my gosh, she seems to have everything on lock. Maybe this could be a good thing. Yeah. Let's see when the world opens up again. Let's see what they has in plan for us. But listen, thank you so, so much. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. And we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Sounds good. Bye. Remember to tune in next Monday for a brand new episode. And please rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. It really does help us out. We'll see you then. Au revoir, bitches.